The Civil Rights Act of 1964 is sometimes called the Long Struggle for Freedom. It was a far-reaching effort to equalize humanity. And according to our guest, this law was the most expansive approach to ensuring civil rights and offered immense power to the struggle. Greg Jones is president of the Dane County chapter of the NAACP. He was the keynote speaker at the League of Women Voters of Dane County's annual meeting on May 17, 2017, at the Capitol Lakes Retirement Center in Madison. The title of his talk is The Current State of Civil Rights, the Past, Present, and Future. First, we hear from Ingrid Roth, Vice President of the League, who introduces Greg Jones. Our speaker tonight, Greg Jones, has worked for civil rights for over 30 years through his involvement in a variety of organizations, including the Urban League and the NAACP, where he is now the president of the Dane County branch. He is active on a whole variety of current issues, including building economic stability, out-of-home placements for children of color, and immigration. Uh, he's also currently the chair of the Fitchburg Police and Fire Commission. He also organized the Moral Mondays marches from a couple years ago. The League and the NAACP have worked together on voting issues, including voting registration efforts, and of course the League and the NAACP jointly founded the Dane County Voter ID Coalition. So please join me in welcoming Greg Jones. I want to first applaud the League because you have continually moved the needle in the advancement of voting, voter education, and advocacy. Your engagement has been inspirational. And whether or not we say it enough, we thank you for what you do. But to let you know a little bit about me, I consider myself a product of the segregated South. Born in a period preceding the Civil Rights Act of 1964, grew up in Mississippi in a time when race separation was the norm, reached young adulthood in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, predominantly white community, and then reached middle age in Dane County. And I'm going to stay middle age. <laughs> and you are too. And as Ingrid said, I serve as president of the Dane County uh, NAACP. So to open the remarks before we get into the substance, I wanted to just lay out for a few minutes uh, the game changers for the 21st century that the NAACP national leadership has established. Along the way of identifying and talking about these game changers, I'll kind of interject some of the things that we've done at the national and local level. The first game changer is economic sustainability. We believe that a chance to live the American dream is for all. And every person will have equal opportunity to achieve economic success, sustainability, and financial security. At the local level for the Dane County branch, we hosted what was called a workers' forum a year ago. The purpose of that forum was to raise consciousness, support initiatives that would make wage ownership much more palatable and plausible. In that evening, there were members representing the Fight for 15 movement, 
their personal and humble stories told us that we are still living in a society where economic opportunity is restricted, not by reasons of their own. At the national level, the national NAACP has put forth many initiatives, training sessions, and financial responsibility programs, and they are delivering those to the local level. This game changer, we believe, is fundamental to uh, our mission of the NAACP. The second game changer is education. We believe that a free, high-quality public education for all. Every child will receive a free, high-quality, equitably-funded public pre-K and K-12 education, followed by diverse opportunities for accessible, affordable, vocational, and university education. Now, when our national board lay out these game changers, they don't necessarily know how we can help implement them at the local level. Our branch has been uh, very involved with many work groups and task forces of the Madison School District. Some of those initiatives include uh, assisting in the development of a much more responsive behavior education plan. Some of those efforts include assisting in task force work that deals with board policy that has to do with the delivery of services uh, in, to our children. And some of those uh, uh, workforce efforts have a lot to do with the framework of the school district system, specifically how a community school should be organized and what services it could deliver and what it can do for communities. But here's the fundamental disconnect between the segregated South boy and the Northern girls and boys. The school in Laurel, Mississippi was the fundamental institution for respect, purpose, and being. That black high school, called Oak Park High School, to this day, serves to remind all of us to enter those doors and exit those doors with diplomas, that that was a place for understanding who you were, what the world around you was about, and what you need to do to build a future for yourself and others. So we want to work with our school districts and get back to understanding that the school serves the community. So I reach out to everyone and say, where we have local schools, lend a, t lend a moment of your time to make that school better in serving all of our youth. The third game changer is health. Health equality for all Americans, including a healthy life and high quality health care is for everyone. And everyone will have equal access to affordable, high-quality health care and radically disparate health outcomes. The issue of health care, uh, and I, I don't want you to throw rocks at me, but has received a lot of attention lately. We know that. <laughs> Let's smile. Uh, and it is an issue fundamental to uh, the uh, uh, NAACP. At the local level, we have a health committee that committee is involved with uh, relationships and networks that are delivering health services. We hope to engage in those to develop uh, delivery systems and or policies. But let me digress. Uh, how many of you received, uh, if you live in Dane County, how many of you received a note from Senator uh, Fitzgerald a couple, three weeks ago indicating that he would hold office session hours in various places around county, and so forth. Was I the only one to get that? <laughs> I live in Fitchburg. 
So I'll go pick up the mail one day, and in there is an invitation to attend uh, a, uh, an office hour session with uh, Senator Jeff uh, uh, Fitzgerald, Scott Fitzgerald. And I thought, now why am I getting this? Then I remembered the lines of the districts for the Senate and Assembly were shifted a little bit. Remember that? And I said, according to this particular uh, notification, there is a session in the town of Bristol, Bristol near Sun Prairie on April 8th at 10 o'clock. So I opened up my calendar and put that date and time in there thinking, this is the Dane County NAACP. We often are asked by our national office to contact legislators at the, at the national level. But here's an opportunity to contact legislators at the local level. And I did. And I went. That discussion uh, to the senator was dominated by individuals who responded to that notice about the loss or potential loss and the fear of loss about health care. I sat in the back of that room and listened at so many of our county residents from Bristol and parts of Sun Prairie and a few of us out of Madison understand that these were life and death issues and concerns that they raised. While that wasn't a state issue, the call to the senator was that do what he could to not affect Medicaid planning and Medicare programs. You're listening to Greg Jones, president of the Dane County chapter of the NAACP. He's speaking on the current state of civil rights, the past, present, and future. So back to the NAACP, we have been asked by our national to make health and health delivery a critical condition and programmatic response for our branch. The fourth uh, uh, game changer is public safety and criminal justice. Equitable dispensation of justice for all is what we believe. Disproportionate in incarceration, racially motivated policing strategies, and racially biased, discriminatory, and mandatory minimum sentencing will end. This is a call that the NAACP has stood on for years. And we won't belabor it, but there's a lot of initiatives and a lot of effort moving around this idea of uh, criminal justice reform. Today, there was a uh, press conference uh, sponsored by Representative Chris Taylor uh, on some proposed legislation dealing with use of force. That particular legislation intends to push principles about uh, using force as a last resort. It contains conditions that will make uh, the application and use of force by police office, officers consistent. It asks that the standards uh, developed by the Department of Justice be reviewed, improved, and then delivered. More importantly, it asks that use of force policies be made available to the public so we can understand them. In addition to that, uh, I serve on uh, what's called the United Way Law Enforcement Leaders of Color Collaboration, a long name. And it's made up of various community groups like the NAACP, the Urban League, the fraternities, sororities, other civic organizations, the clergy, and law enforcement representatives from around the county. Uh, and that particular group, in my mind, is one of the most inspiring groups. When those two groups come together in a safe place and discuss intrinsically and deeply and honestly issues that they feel are contributing to distrust between the two, and what can be done to, uh, to close that gap, 
that's an inspiring and progressive kind of approach. That particular collaboration created a task force uh, on use of force. They produced recommendations about a year ago and shared those recommendations with all of the municipal departments. We're now finding that from their reports that they picked up on those and utilized those. And we think that the fundamental purpose that we do this is that we let them know that the community has an expectation in how the interactions between police and uh, individual citizens occur. That's empowering and that's inspiring. That group came together in what I think were some of the darkest times. It came together after the Ferguson event when there were things happening that seemed to be reshaping how police and community interacted. Out of that dark time, we're now moving to a brighter time. The next game changer is voting rights and political representation. Uh, and here's one that, as I said earlier, we stand and believe and uh, certainly offer all of the support to the league in their efforts to, uh, 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 to improve voting opportunities, voting rights. But we believe every, every American should, ha should have access to free, open, equal, and protected access to the vote and fair representation at all levels of the political process. So here again, um, and you probably know well that uh, we certainly have supported uh, the League in their effort to, for the creation and implementation of the voter ID experiences. But here's the story. I grew up, remember, in a time before the Civil Rights Act. I grew up in a time when I was old enough to know when my mother, her brother, who was a part of that extended household would go vote. But her mother, my grandmother, who was in that household, did not vote. That's the reality. And I can remember the first time that my grandmother went to vote. So I say this is personal because I understand the message from my grandmother who said, if you have only one thing to do, as long as you live, you must vote. I didn't understand those words at age 12 or 13. But at age 15 and 18 and 60-something and so forth, they ring true. So I offer that only because the NACP has stood strongly in support of voting and voter education. And then lastly and quickly, uh, the last game changer is expanding youth and youth and young adult engagement. I think the NACP has recognized that most of the warriors and most of the soldiers for 30 and 40 years in this, in this civil rights um, uh, journey, uh, aging on and aging out. So there's a need to really reach back and really find a way to build that bridge to the next generation. We can do it within our families or we can try to do it in our communities. But the NAACP is expanding the presence of youth consciousness in every aspect of the association through significant attention to expanding engagement in the key demographic areas. So I want to leave you with that one as far as just a little bit about some of the focus areas or strategic action uh, areas that we're now engaged in. But the reason I chose this subject, uh, civil rights to past, civil rights to present, and civil rights to future, because to me it covers a landscape of issues, history, and also opportunities. So the way I want to approach this is just give you a little tidbit of uh, civil rights from the past, and a little bit about the present, and then talk about the future in terms of uh, strategic collaborative strategies that we must engage in as a community. So 
Civil rights in the past, let us not forget that most laws guaranteeing and regulating civil rights originate at the federal level, either through federal legislation or through federal court decisions, like our Supreme Court. But states also pass their own civil rights laws. One of the things I want to, uh, that I'm always amazed at, is when I look back in history and I look at the civil rights laws that were passed by Congress in the 1860s, 1870s, and 1875. And I get amazed saying, they had a law that they called the Civil Rights Law in 1866? Yes, it did. But these three laws did the following. Number one, they ensured that all persons born in the United States are hereby declared to be citizens of the United State, States and such citizens of every race and color without regard to any previous condition of slavery or individual servitude shall have the same right in every state and territory in the United States. Secondly, collectively these laws ensure that all citizens of the United States who are or shall be otherwise qualified by law to vote at any election shall be entitled and allowed to vote at all elections without distinction of race, color, previous conditions of servitude. And thirdly, these laws back in that period recognize the equality of all men before the law and hold that it is the duty of government in its dealings with the people to met out equal and exact justice, justice to all. These are some fundamental statements made back in a time where our history was not that focused on opportunity and equality for all, but yet our, 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 our Congress passed them. So I want to lay that as a backdrop and then speak a little bit about the, the present. And I consider the present, 1964 to today. The 1964 Civil Rights Act is sometimes called the long struggle for freedom. It was a far-reaching effort to equalize humanity. The law prohibited discrimination in the workplace, public accommodations, public facilities, and agencies receiving federal funds and strengthen prohibitions on school segregation and discrimination in voter registration. This law was the most expansive approach to ensuring civil rights and offered immense power to the struggle. This was the first time a civil rights law was passed that enumerated basic human conditions. In the 1860s, 1870s, we talked about the right to vote, the right to be equal. We did not enumerate them, nor that those laws create a pathway to enforce them. You're listening to Greg Jones, president of the Dane County chapter of the NAACP. He's speaking on the current state of civil rights, the past, present, and future. But the 64 Act, uh, it was evident after it was passed that more grassroots mobilization would be needed, more uh, attention from the courts, and certainly more legislative uh, decisions and laws would be needed to implement them. And then in 65, the Voting Rights Act was passed, redressing the legacy of discrimination against African Americans. So as a backdrop to the past, as a condition of the future, excuse me, as a condition of the present, I've asked, I then uh, tried to ask this question, then what does the future hold for this idea called civil rights? It has its constitutional uh, and, and uh, uh, 
congressional uh, background, but it also has its practical programmatic response. But the Department of Justice and the Supreme Court are viewed as institutional pathways to justice, fairness, and equality for all of us. But the leadership of these two institutions has a direct impact on the lives of each and every one of us. In January, for the Martin Luther King edition of the uh, Capital City Hughes, John Gramlin asked civil rights leaders to write essays that would discuss and describe what we believe would be the implementation of civil rights in the Trump administration. Now, let me do a backdrop. The NAACP is a nonpartisan organization. We don't support candidates, and we don't endorse, uh, we don't support or endorse candidates, uh, and we don't endorse or support parties. We have to be nonpartisan. But we can talk about issues, and this is what I want to do. The U.S. Attorney General must ensure the fair and impartial administration of justice to all Americans. Jeff Sessions' actions to prosecute three African-American community organizers was clearly selective prosecution of blacks in the state of Alabama. His record outlines decades of decisions and actions that demonstrate a lack of commitment to the impartiality expected to be upheld that would promote fairness, equality, and justice. So when we ask ourselves about the future of uh, civil rights, this is one of the pathways that has always offered uh, uh, remedy for those who were seeking justice. Whether it was Supreme Court decisions in education, like Brown versus uh, Board of Education, whether it was decisions on uh, gender equity and equality, it was the Supreme Court's decisions. So we look to uh, civil rights and ask ourselves now, do we have that institutional pathway that we always had, functioning and performing in a level it did in the past? And thirdly, uh, uh, this is one of the areas where the NACP put forth a vigorous effort in opposition to this appointment. This was one of the first times that I've seen an, an effort by the national organization to reach down through its national structure into the state structure and down to the various branches uh, in the state. In Wisconsin, we have seven active branches of the NAACP um, in Milwaukee, in, in Mad Madison, Dane County, in Beloit, Ozaki, Green Bay, Kenosha, Racine. So what happened at that time was that a flurry of requests and information from our national office saying, we must engage in this. And it was just an outcry of opposition. And lastly, uh, before I try to get to what I believe are some strategies and opportunities, uh, we expect our U.S. Supreme Court to not only have substantial legal and judicial experience, but also understand how the court's decisions affect the lives of average citizens. Now, the jury is still out on this recent appointment, but the Supreme Court is a fundamental pathway that has always existed to provide constitutional protections and constitutional opportunities for the citizens of this country. So I asked myself, well, if we've looked at the past where we've had some um, civil rights laws put in place without a lot of enforcement, and then we move toward, uh, 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 toward the 60s where we had a civil rights law and, and those protections and enforcements were put in place, and now we have that same structure, but now we have a different cloud of influence that may shift and change it. 
then what can we do? And these are the things that I offer. The first thing that I offer, and I put it in the context of one, we must learn from our past practices and we must build on those. Number one, the Voting Rights Act must be restored. When the Voting Rights Act was uh, tampered with and uh, lost its impact, we saw a flurry of laws across the country that were basically put in place, and this is Greg Jones' opinion, for misdirected and misconceived reasons, voter fraud. There's a strong need for strong enforcement at the federal level to address unfounded evidence of voter fraud and eliminating voter discrimination and voter suppression resulting from political tactics. We stand on this statement from the NACP that until we all find ways in our own uh, purviews, whether it's NACP, League of Women Voters, to build some collaboration and reach a broader segment of our society or our neighborhoods in our various communities, we will not make a difference. But I'm going to offer you something greater that will assist us in making that difference. The second most fundamental area that needs to be uh, given attention is in the area of police reform. The use of brutal and deadly force against African Americans occurs uh, uh, too often and in too many places. Building community police relationships based on respect and trust can only occur when people of color engage in the process of designing, having input, and certainly um, uh, being held to the same standards of accountability implementing those programs and plans. And the third area that seems to be a real rivet uh, to uh, civil rights today is sentencing reform. This is necessary. To address racial disparities in the growing jail and prison population, sentencing guidelines must be updated and revised based on fair and just standards, especially for nonviolent crimes. The Attorney General for the state of Wisconsin recently issued a, um, a statement saying that the U.S. attorneys must now return to a much more forceful implementation and prosecution approach and standard for all crimes. What can we do? And this is where I, 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 I want to try to be a little gauging because I probably gave you some stories that got you a little bit sad, but that ain't the end. The required minimum actions to bring the interests of the people to the forefront must include the following. Number one, there must be greater and sustained civic engagement through rallies, marches, protests, and legal recourse. We must return to the past when those actions delivered outcomes that were beneficial to all society. The marches of the 60s, the women's march of today, those actions are what's needed to not only raise attention to the issues of the day, but to engage and involve a broader group. I did not attend the women's march in D.C., but I watched it on TV and I taped it and I listened at it three different times. We must find ways for those impactful actions to impact us. So to a large extent, we must engage ourselves in it. The second minimum action is that there must be intense collaboration and action by justice-minded citizens and organizations to sustain civil rights. If our collaborative efforts do not rise in intensity, that means constantly staying on mission and constantly staying on task for what we've committed to do, 
we lose the opportunity to build that mass and maintain that mass. The one thing that happened in Madison that had an opportunity in the last three years to build what I believe was a moral mass uh, was the Moral Monday movement out of North Carolina, the influence and direction delivered to Wisconsin by Reverend Barber. When we began to come together and ask this question, we're not really focused on Democratic leaders. We're not really focused on Republican leaders. We're not really focused on conservative leaders. We're not really focused on liberal leaders. We're focused on moral leaders. And the cry for more moral leadership from our elected officials has been a mantra and a mainstay for that, uh, for that message. So in Dane County, there was an effort to develop what we called a Forward Together Wisconsin. It was made up of clergy, civic, all kinds of organizations. Its goal was to push for a higher moral standard among our decision makers, and we still have the opportunity. But this collaboration must be intense and must be ongoing. Thirdly, uh, there's a need for a state-focused movement to address the impact of extreme policies on the horizon that harm labor rights, worker rights, women rights, and family rights. I don't have to say much, but if the current proposal for uh, the, the American Health Care Act does what we hear it's going to do, we're going to have a deep issue and a deep problem. Our neighbor's problems will be our problems. We don't want to do that. So I think the statewide focus must be developed today, must be maintained, and must be ongoing. What that means is all of us leave our egos outside of the door, come into the room with a passion and a mission to address whatever issues on the table, whoever brings it forward, doesn't matter, getting it done, getting it completed for the benefit of our neighbors would be the key. Fourthly, active citizen engagement in public policy forums at all levels, including city, county, and state bodies. That kind of goes without saying that there needs to be much more engagement. A few weeks ago, there was a hearing in our state in, our, in, 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 uh, in the assembly, and the bill had to do with uh, making food share eligibility conditional upon compliance and cooperation with the child support system. In the short way, uh, those families that were receiving food share benefits, and if there was a need for them to cooperate or comply with child support, the food share opportunities would be minimized, reduced, and sometimes just restricted. This was the kind of discussion where I enter the hearing room wanting to sit down, although I had developed a few talking points, but I wanted to listen. This is the division that we have, and we have to find a way for our arms to reach beyond our own communities and our own section of the state. Most of the people in that room were from northern, northwestern, northeastern Wisconsin and that their representation of that issue was that this was good, it would help the state advance and improve its, its child support collections, all of the good policy outcomes. What was problematic for me as an advocate, as an NAACP representative, was that there was an obvious racial overtone, and that when I looked closely at the populations affected, low-income workers, Many of those fathers who were participants in the child support support system were in prison. So do they start at a disadvantage already, or do they not? So 
we have to be awakened to some of the uh, uh, some of the things going on that create what I believe are poverty-producing programs, even if they sound like they may be um, um, the opposite. So, in doing so, the only thing I could say to the committee was, "Do not approve it." The fifth and last uh, uh, strategic uh, opportunity. Uh, is to utilize the remedy structures that exist at all levels, regardless of political environment. I remember talking this through that uh, what we must do as advocates and what we must do to maintain, sustain, and even improve uh, civil rights is that exercise our right to bring forth complaints, even sue. And people said, well, you know, that's okay, but do we really want to sue? The reason I think that we have to exercise and utilize those opportunities now is that was a learned lesson from the past. It was effective in pursuing those changes needed in the education structure. It has been effective in maintaining other services in the area of health and or public policy relating to criminal justice. So we have to be, as advocates for civil rights, much more aware and much more uh, interested in pursuing those remedies that make a difference. So I wanted to offer that as uh, at least something we can think about. But going forward, I do offer the, uh, the following uh, closing statement. If and when uh, we as a community in Dane County allow ourselves to be ourselves and do more for our friends who need, our county will be much better off. And I think Dane County is one of the few counties probably in the country that has the capacity to do that. So we must move forward and, uh, and not move backwards. So I thank you for entertaining me for a while and hopefully offering some thoughts that would be uh, uh, inspiring. Thank you. You've been listening to The Current State of Civil Rights, The Past, Present, and Future with Greg Jones, President of the Dane County Chapter of the NAACP. The talk took place on May 17, 2017, at the Capitol Lakes Retirement Center in Madison and was sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. To find out what else the League is up to, go to their website at lwvdanecounty.org. The views expressed here are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the League of Women Voters of Dane County. Permission to rebroadcast this podcast is granted if credit is given to the League of Women Voters of Dane County and any editing does not alter the speaker's meaning.